For tonight, we're going to just be considering one verse. That's not our norm. Uh, we usually consider a little more than that, but I do want to um, veer off a little bit and just share some practical things with you that I hope will be helpful. So if you will turn to Colossians 3.18, Colossians 3.18. Um, In 1972, there was a book entitled Me, Obey Him, and um, I didn't read it in 1972 because I was only uh, 16 years of age at the time, but in 1995, my husband was pastoring a church, not this one, and several women in our church at that time listened to Elizabeth Elliot actually read this book, Me, Obey Him, on the radio. And uh, they started coming and asking me questions and saying we had concerns about this book. What do you think? And I said, you know, I don't know. I'd never heard of the book called Me Obey Him. And so I ordered the book and I began to read it and my husband read it. And I was so concerned about the book, plus the fact that my uh, mentor, not, you know, by distance, Elizabeth Elliott, was reading it over the radio And so I decided to compose a gracious letter to her and to ask her to reconsider what uh, reading this book on the radio. And um, by way of introduction, what I want to do is to read the letter to you that I wrote to her, and it's not to teach you how to dictate a letter. In fact, there's one phrase, and I was like, I can't believe I said that to her. But um, there's a reason for my madness, because I want you to listen very carefully to her response to me, and it has a lot to do with what we've been studying in Colossians, okay? So listen up. I know you're probably exhausted from the time change, and, and I'm three hours behind because I was two hours in California, which is two hours behind. Then my husband said, eh, and guess what? Uh, you've got one more hour when you land Sunday night. So if I can stand up here for 45 minutes, you can listen up for a few minutes, okay? So here's my letter, and I want you to listen listen to her response. Dear Elizabeth Elliot, for many years now, I've read your books and newsletters. I have listened to you on the radio, and I've had the privilege of attending some of your conferences. God has blessed my life richly through you, and I consider you one of my older women. Recently on the radio, you read from a book entitled Me, Obey Him. I was not able to hear most of it due to a busy time. My husband pastors a church here in Tulsa. Several women in our church, however, purchased that book because of your recommendation of it. They read it, and they began to ask questions, so we read it. I was somewhat taken back by the extremes of this book and was concerned that you would promote it. I believe firmly that the Bible teaches that women are to submit to their husbands as unto the Lord, and I teach and counsel women to do just that. However... I do not believe our Lord would ever ask us to murder, commit adultery, violate our conscience, have abortions, and never express an opinion unless we are asked. Mrs. Rice Hanford, she's the author of the book, she says this, God is not going to give anybody two conflicting commands so that it is impossible to obey both. In other words, she's saying that to prove a wife is to be submissive regardless if it conflicts with the moral law of God. Then this is what you should never say. I said, where's that in the Bible? I should have said, oh, well, you know, I don't, you know, I should have, I thought it was a gracious way, but, you know, that was a long time ago. 
I said many times we are given to conflicting commands. For example, the Bible says, wives, submit yourselves to your husbands. And it also says, honor your father and your mother. And yet we know many times a wife has to dishonor her father and mother in order to submit to her own husband. Another example in Exodus, the king, remember, spoke to the Hebrew midwives. When you do the office of a midwife to the Hebrew women and you see them upon the stool, if it's a son, then you kill them. However, verse 17 says the midwives feared God. They did not do as the king commanded. And I pointed out those are two conflicting commands. We are to obey God and we are to obey those in authority over us. And it also says that God blessed the midwives for their obedience. I said there are numerous other conflicting commands in the word. Her commands that wives should never express an opinion unless they are asked is totally contrary to Matthew 18, where it says, if you're a brother offends you, you go to him and you tell him his fault between him and you and you alone. And there is no exception clause. It doesn't say except if it's your husband. Does that mean that if you have a husband and a wife who are both believers, that a wife can never fulfill Matthew 18? I could go on and on because there are numerous concerns that I and my husband have about this book. I would hope and pray that you might reread the book with an open heart before God and reconsider what she is saying. She also takes many passages out of context to prove her points. Her idea was good, and I agree with some of the book. I just honestly believe she goes too far and is leading many astray. If you choose to disagree, I will still read your books and newsletters and listen to you on the radio and hear you when you're in the area and consider you a God-given older woman in my life. I will not, however, be able to support your support of this book. Sincerely and prayerfully, Susan Heck. Now, here's her response, short and sweet. Dear Susan, thank you very much for your gracious letter, which has just now reached my desk. You certainly have given me pause. I trusted my friend Elizabeth Hanford so implicitly that I did not challenge her on any point. I did wonder if there might be some conflicting commands, and you have cited several which appear to be. I do not agree that wives should never express an opinion. That seems a bit extreme, doesn't it? I appreciated your mention of Matthew 18. Sincerely, Elizabeth Elliot Green, who now has gone to be with the Lord. So, But now this letter generated several letters back and forth, not only with her, but with the author of the book, Me Obey Him, and my husband got involved, and he wrote this big theological thing, and and we never really got anywhere. In fact, it just became very frustrating. And I have all the material, the files at home. And every once in a while I pull them out. And I thought, well, I don't know if that was a waste of time or not. But ladies, if we have learned anything in Colossians, I hope we've learned the danger of false teaching. Even Elizabeth Elliot, who most of us in this room would highly respect, even Elizabeth Elliot said, I trusted my friend so implicitly I did not challenge her on any point. Ladies, do you see the danger of believing even what your friend says without checking it out biblically? It's dangerous. Am I as a wife never to express an opinion as some would have us believe? Do I have to disobey the Lord in order to obey my husband? What does the Bible say? 
By the way, before we get started, I want to be clear. I am not a feminist. I am not a women's liber. I do believe the Bible teaches submission, but I do not believe the Bible teaches doormat theology. Ladies, we always must be concerned. What does the Bible have to say about our role as a woman and specifically as a wife? God's word is very clear, and that's why I've chosen to take the whole lecture tonight on this one verse, as I want to be very practical and give you some helps. Um, I, I don't claim to be able to answer all your questions. I don't think we'll clear up everything but I want to challenge your thinking because there are some erroneous ideas out there about submission and the role of the wife. So let's read this very vital verse for us as women from Colossians 3.18. It just basically says, wives, submit to your own husbands as is fitting in the Lord. We have a very simple outline. Who do wives submit to and why do they submit? Who do wives submit to and why do they submit? Um, so let's consider, first of all, who do wives submit to? Now, before we answer that question, let's define submission, because I think this is where a lot of people get in trouble. They don't understand what submission is. The Greek word means to place in an orderly fashion under, to place in an orderly fashion under. In other words, the husband is the president, the wife is the vice president, or the husband is a five-star general and the wife is a four-star general. So you might put it like that, to place in an orderly fashion under. Now, this is very important. Uh, again, wake up. The Greek indica indicates there is a willingness involved in this submission. Okay, the verb is not in the middle voice. And it's not in the active voice. If it was in the active voice, it would mean this. The husband could say, you must submit to me. That's the active voice. You must submit. And ladies, I've met some men who use the submission club. And I've met their wives, and it's a very frustrating marriage. He's usually very harsh. You know the Bible says submit, and you submit. Now, that's the active voice. That's not what this is. It's not in the passive voice either. The passive voice would be from the wife who's saying, I'm forced to submit to you, so I'll do it, <laughs> you know, but I don't want to. That would be the word that's used. But that's not the Greek tense. The Greek tense is the middle voice. You might say, well, what does that mean? It means the wife is participating in the result of the action and she is submitting voluntarily. It's because her heart wants to submit to her husband. It's her willing choice. It's not the same Greek word we're going to see next week. We're going to look at the role of the husband next week and then we're going to look at the role of the parents to the children. And when it says children obey, Obey is very different than submit. Children are to obey the spoken word. If a parent says jump, they say how high. That's obedience. That's not the Greek word used here. It is a willing choice of the wife. It's a voluntary submission. Um, we're going to see next week when it's children obey, that is an absolute command, but not in the case of a submitting wife. Now, one of my sub objections with this book was that it did teach doormat theology. And she really did say, did not matter what your husband asked you to do, you were to do it, even if he asked you to sin. 
And, uh, you know, I have issues with that. And so we'll talk about that in just a minute. Now, ladies, <clears throat> when I got married, I did not have a clue about submission, even though my husband, my husband, my mother was a very good role model. Um, I was independent. I was not a believer. I was the president, or I tried to be. Doug never let me. If you know Doug, you know he never let me. And um, I did not want anybody telling me what to do. And uh, my lack of obedience uh, to Doug caused a myriad of problems in our marriage the first 10 years. I was tearing my house down brick by brick. And uh, he used to say before salvation, he was going to put on my tombstone. She did it her way. So that tells you what kind of a wife I was. Now, after God saved me at the age of 30, uh, there was a couple things. There was more than a couple, but two things that were glaring in my life was my anger and my lack of submission to Doug. And um, at first it was a struggle, I'll tell you, because I really was very independent. I didn't want Doug telling me what to do. I would get really angry, really bitter when his will challenged mine. But I knew that it was a sin, and I knew I needed to get it straightened out. And so I would start submitting, and my husband used to say to me, Susan, you're submitting outwardly, but your attitude is not one of submission. Somebody's trying to get in. It's a, it's a female, so she's allowed. And um, so I wasn't submitting joyfully, you know. In, I was submitting outwardly, but I was sitting down in my heart. I was upset about that. Now, I will say this. Today I was talking to a girl on the phone, and we're going through Colossians on the phone, and she, um, we talked about this, about submission. And I can say, you know, I actually see now submission to Doug as very liberating. It is actually very freeing because on that day, I'm going to stand before God and give an account for my submission. He's going to give an account for how he's led our family. And so I do find it very freeing now. It's not that my will's never challenged, but I do see it as God's will for my life, and it is a joy uh, to submit. And um, I can't say my, my flesh never creeps in, but not like it used to at all. Now, ladies, if you think that we have it bad, we need to thank God that we were born in this century. I mean, at the time that Paul wrote this epistle to the Colossians, things were a little bit different. In fact, under Jewish law, a woman was just a possession of her husband, just as much as his house was or his flocks, his material goods. She had no legal rights whatsoever. In fact, in the Jewish world, a husband could divorce his wife for any reason whatsoever, but she was never allowed to initiate a divorce. She also had to live uh, usually in a seclusion. She couldn't appear on the streets alone. Uh, she couldn't go to the grocery store, we would say, or to the market by herself. Um, she was demanded to be completely uh, subservient to him. In fact, it's interesting, uh, men could go out uh, outside of the marriage relationship and have as many sexual relationships as they wanted but a woman was not allowed to do that in the biblical world. She must remain uh, pure to her husband. Um, and so you can see from this, we've come a long way, right? Things are a little different. Um, in fact, one Jewish philosopher said this. He said, women are selfish, jealous, hypocritical, and married men were no longer free but slaves. <laughs> so, um, you know, it kind of tells you what, how they viewed women in the biblical world. So for Paul to come in and tell the church at Colossae that, you know, wives are to be subjective 
to their husbands is very, very different because this is a willing submission from her heart. And uh, so this would be a little shocking to the church at Colossae. But ladies, we have to remember Christ comes in and even changes culture. I remember when my husband went to Burma uh, to do some speaking and uh, he went with another man and he said it was very odd that the men walked ahead of the women and the women would walk behind the men and carry the books. And so Doug finally used the opportunity when he was over there. He said, you know, he said, this is not right. He said, you treat your wife in a loving, kind way. She should be walking beside you and you should be carrying the books. And so he was trying to explain to this missionary that Christ comes in and should even change your culture. And so we see here that that is what Paul's doing. And we'll see that again next week as we look at the role of the husband to the wife. So who do we submit to? Well, notice what Paul says. He says we submit to our own husbands and and thank the Lord. It's our own husband, right? We don't submit to anybody else's husband. One is enough, right? And uh, one that hopefully is loving us the way Christ loved the church, right? And so if our husband is loving us the way that Christ loved the church, if he's living with us in an understanding way, uh, this is a man that we love, we cherish, we respect. And so then he is easy to submit, submit to. Now, secondly, why do we submit or how are we to submit? Notice what Paul says. He says we submit as it is fitting to the Lord. In fact, the word fit means as it is proper. We are to submit in harmony with God's will. Um, And so that was one of the issues I had with the book. We are to submit as unto the Lord. In other words, as if God were asking us to do something. My Lord would never ask me to commit adultery. My Lord would never ask me to have an abortion. My Lord would never ask me to do that stuff. And so we submit as it is fitting unto the Lord, our master, our controller. We also submit because it's God's will for our life. Um, It's in harmony with what he says is the role of the woman. Um, In fact, my husband has often said that a woman's submission to her husband is the biggest part of her sanctification. And I would agree with that. I've been a pastor's wife long enough now, and I've been around lots of women, not only in churches, but just going around speaking and stuff. And I will tell you that when I'm I'm with couples or with women and there is that lack of submission, it's almost like, you know, I've even heard women say, no, or I told my husband no, or and it's like taking your fingernails and scraping them on a chalkboard. And it's really unattractive. It's very unattractive to be around a Christian woman who does not honor, respect, and submit to her husband. And so I would encourage you tonight, if you're not a submissive wife, um, I think you would be wise to carefully examine if you're growing in your relationship to Christ, why aren't you being submissive to your husband? Now, why is submission so hard for us as women? Well, we need to remind ourselves why. So I want you to turn back to Genesis 3. Genesis 3. Some of you are laughing. Genesis 3. Beginning in verse 1. Now the serpent was more cunning than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, Has God said you shall not eat of every tree of the garden? 
And the woman said to the serpent, We may eat the fruit of the trees of the garden, but of the fruit of the tree which is in the midst of the garden, God has said, You will not eat nor touch it, lest you die. Then the serpent said to the woman, You will not die, for God knows that in the day you eat of it, your eyes will be opened, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So when the woman saw the tree was good for food and that it was pleasant to the eyes and a tree desirable to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate. She also gave to her husband with her and he ate. Then the eyes of both of them were open and they knew they were naked and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves coverings. And they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And Adam and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. Then the Lord God called to Adam and said to him, where are you? So he said, I heard your voice in the garden and I was afraid because I was naked and I hid myself. And he said, who told you you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree of which I commanded you that you should not eat? Then the man said, the woman you gave to me, she gave me of the tree and I ate. And the Lord God said to the woman, what is this that you have done? The woman said, the serpent deceived me and I ate. So the Lord God said to the serpent, because you have done this, you are cursed more than all the cattle and more than every beast of the field on the belly. You will go and your dust you will eat all the days of your life. And I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your seed and her seed. He will bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel to the woman. He said, I will greatly multiply your sorrow and your conception in pain. You will bring forth children. Your desire will be for your husband, and he will rule over you. So, ladies, when Adam and Eve chose to sin, they all got cursed, right? Satan got cursed. Adam got cursed. Eve got cursed. She got two curses. The first one is pain in childbearing, and poor Grace is going to find out about that in a little bit. But for all of us, not hopefully not tonight, but for all of us who've birthed babies, we know about that pain in childbirth. And it's not just the actual birthing process. Um, I'll give Grace a little hint. But, you know, my children are grown, and there's still pain in childbirth, you know. Uh, your children still can give you grief or you get worried about them or burdened about them. And so I think the pain in childbearing is forever and ever. Um, and so that's one of the curses that women get. The second one is the one I'm interested in for our sake. God said, your desire is going to be to your husband, but he is going to rule over you. Now, the word desire means the determination of the will. In other words, the determination of the wife's will is going to want to rule her husband. She's going to want to rule her husband, but that's not going to happen. Instead, he's going to what? rule over her now ladies if i were to go around and ask you to be totally honest every one of you in this room would probably say that you would like to run the home right and if you're not you're lying and that's bad too part of the curse and ladies i tell women this in premarital counseling i tell them when they come in for counseling this is going to be a struggle your entire life you are never going to master this till heaven you are always going to want to rule or control your husband. But God says, no, he's going to be the head. He's going to rule over you. And so we can thank Eve for this, I guess. I don't know. Um, we can't really blame her, but she did uh, decide to take of the fruit. But this is going to be an issue, um, and it will 
and it will be an issue in your life, but hopefully it becomes less and less of an issue. It's not an excuse for not submitting, but I think we just need to recognize it's a curse. It's part of the fall, and it's going to be with us. It's like Doug was saying Sunday. The law says thou shalt not covet, so what? There's wet paint, so you want to touch the paint. Don't step on the grass, so you want to step on the grass. The Bible says wife submit, so you don't want to submit. And so um, we have to keep that in mind. My friend, we should be progressing towards Christ's likeness in this area. Your husband should say you're more submissive now than you were a year ago. And I don't know how many of you were brave enough to ask your husband if you were submissive. I did not ask my husband. The lady, the young girl on the phone today said, well, did you ask Doug if you were submissive? And I said, no, because the last time I asked him, he said, I want you to stop asking me that question. <laughs> he said, you're a submissive wife. If I, you're not, I will tell you. So I didn't ask him because he told me to quit asking him. So, so I guess he would say I was. Now, I do want to say this. Submission does not imply that wives are inferior. We are not inferior. Paul is very clear in Galatians. In Christ, there is no male or female. We are all one in Jesus Christ. But ladies, there has to be an authority. Think about it. Um, even in the school system, even though that's very lacking today, there has to be a structure of authority. Children to the teachers, as we're going to see next week, children to their parents, uh, citizens to government authorities should be in the church, uh, the sheep to the shepherds or the elders. And so somebody's got to be in charge. And so it's the same way in a marriage. You have to have a head and you have to have someone under the head. And, you know, if this if you really bristle about this, think about Jesus. Think about Jesus. He submitted to the father's will, right? Was he inferior to God, the father? No, because God and the father, we've already seen in Colossians, God and the father are one, right? They're equal, but one had to be submissive, and that was Jesus. He submitted himself to the Father's will to the point of death on a cross. And so um, just keep that in mind as we think about submission. Now, I hope you answered the homework questions because uh, they will further help you understand why a wife uh, needs to be submissive, and we'll talk about those in the homework. Susie, Susie was asking me about 1 Corinthians 11. She goes, are you going to cover that in lecture? And I said, no, I'm not going to cover that in lecture. We'll do that at the table. In fact, the house I stayed in this last week, uh, Rick graduated with Doug. At, this is not my notes, but Rick graduated with Doug at the Master's Seminary. And so I said, what are you preaching on right now? And uh, he said, 1 Corinthians 11. I said, oh, head coverings. And he said, yeah. And I said, what's your view on that? You think women should wear head coverings? He says, well, I'm leaning towards that. So uh, anyway, it was funny. We, a couple of us ladies put napkins over our head at a restaurant, sent it to him. We have, you know, we were praying. And, and uh, he said, such humble women. You know, we were giving him a hard time. But Susie was asking, are you going to cover that 1 Corinthians 11? And I said, no, I'm not going to do that. We can talk about it in our uh, small groups tonight. But for the remainder of our lesson, I want to give you some some biblical answers to common questions that I receive regarding submission. And then I want to wrap it up with some things that I think will help you. Um, I think the most common question that I get is, uh, what should I do if my husband asks me to sin? Do I sin? Um, I have counseled women whose husbands want them to view pornography uh, with him. They want uh, them to cheat on their income taxes, lie to their employer. I even had one woman whose husband wanted her to dress up as a prostitute and go to the movies together. Um, just bizarre things. Uh, 
Ladies, we've got to keep in mind submission is not absolute. Um, the key passage for that is Acts 5.29 when the apostles were preaching the gospel and um, they were put in prison for it. And remember what they said because it was against the law. They wanted them to stop preaching the gospel. We will obey God over man. So if your husband asks you to sin, uh, you do not. Now, it doesn't mean you come in and you, you know, have your hands on your waist like this and, you know, give him the one-two. You just say, no, honey, I'm not going to do that. God has told me to flee sexual immorality. I'm, I'm not going to do that. Um, or if a husband asks a wife not to go to church, um, she doesn't do that. She says, I'm not to forsake the assembling. doesn't mean she has to go every time the doors are open, but she needs to be in God's house with God's people at some time during the week. Um, and so there are a lot of things that could come up, but we never submit to a husband when it's contrary to the word of God. Now, I know some people that use First Peter as a proof text to say that wives submit even if the husbands ask them to sin because they say when Sarah called Abraham Lord, um, whose daughters you are as long as you do well and are not afraid of any terror, terror that what Sarah, what Sarah was being praised for was for her, her agreeing with Abraham to lie. Now, ladies, you can look at that text day and night, and I don't know where you're going to see that in the scripture or in the text. Nowhere in First Peter does it commend Sarah for her lying, and yet some people will try and prove that as a proof text. Um, but let me say this before we go to the next thing. I would say be very careful because I do know women who use preferences for not submitting. Um, and so that's where I think the count, if you have a question about whether something is a sin or not a sin, I think that's where you need to seek the advice of your pastor, your elder, an older woman. Uh, that's why God gives older women to teach young women. And so, um, but the, I would be very careful about preferences, anything in scripture that you are not for sure whether it is a sin or not. I realize um, some husbands can be overbearing. They're not loving. They're harsh. And uh, that makes submission very difficult for wives. But nonetheless, ladies, we are commanded to submit. Now, the second question I get asked a lot is, do I have to submit if my husband's not a believer? And yes, you do. Because Peter's very clear. If any obey not the word, they are. You wives submit to your husbands that if any obey not the word, they may without a word be won by the behavior of the wife. And so I would say you have a greater responsibility to be a gracious, submissive wife if you're married to an unbeliever because you want to represent the gospel to him. Um, in fact, in all the passages you looked at in your homework, <clears throat> it never says, Wives, be submissive to your husbands. Oh, but by the way, if he's a Christian, not a Christian, you don't have to. It's not. There is no exception clause that says that. Um, I know women who have unsaved husbands. I empathize with them. But ladies, we must remember, even if God has placed us in a marriage with an unsaved husband, remember it is God's tool in your life for sanctifying you. And uh, remember, you're an example of the gospel to him. Now, I will say this. If you are married to an unbeliever, there is a greater chance that he will ask you to sin. And so you are going to have to figure out how to be a gracious wife and giving a response back. And uh, But you still cannot participate, should not participate in anything that is displeasing to the Lord, um, even if your husband is an unbeliever. Always be respectful. 
Always be gracious. Now, the third question comes up, can I never express an opinion? That's what Elizabeth Rice Hanford taught in her book. Women should never express an opinion. Of course you can express opinion. In fact, Doug used to tell me, Susan, you don't always have to express your opinion. So then I went the other way, and he goes, why are you so quiet all the time? Well, because you said I don't always have to express an opinion, so now I'm just going to be quiet. But um, husbands and wives should have a loving relationship. They should talk about things. They should share life. They should share what's going on in the home. They should go back and forth and talk. Um, what you have to avoid is being a contentious wife. Um, if you continually nag your husband, you're going to be like that dripping faucet that won't shut off. Have you ever had one of those? I've had them many times in that. Ladies, if you never go home and do it, that's what you sound like to your husband. <clears throat> if you nag, 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 you know, all the time. Um, in fact, it says two times in Proverbs, you know, two times this is mentioned the very same verse. It's better to dwell in the corner of a housetop than with a contentious wife. <laughs> says that twice so it's very important so if you find your husband not coming home much you might ask yourself if you have anything to do with that ladies you are not your husband's mother you are not his holy spirit you can appeal you can pray in fact praying would be the wise thing to do i used to if i was having an issue in my heart towards my husband I used to wait six weeks and pray about it first before approaching him. And, you know, I found in those six weeks the problem usually disappeared, and it didn't bother me anymore. I hopefully have grown a lot since then. I don't wait six weeks anymore. But I just things don't bother me like they used to. I've learned to, um, you know, in acceptance lies peace and only and not, um, you know, magnify things that don't really matter in light of eternity, only deal with the issues that really do matter. But I would pray. I would watch your tone of voice when you go and you talk to him and appeal um, and make sure that it's worth bringing up. Um, there are times in my own marriage where I find um, if my heart, I can't get rid of the resentment or bitterness or whatever's going on, um, that I have to bring it up and we have a talk. I know I've even gone to um, a couple of the older ladies that mentor me and just sought their counsel and help. And just by sitting down and talking to them, they've helped me work through it and I leave and I think, yeah, that's not so big deal, and I can move on. Um, and I would also encourage you your tone of voice. I know Doug told me one time, he said, Susan, he said, he not only thanked me for the rebuke, but he thanked me for how I did it. Because what I used to do uh, before God helped me in this area, you know, I'd go, rawr, 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 and he, you know, like that. And um, one day I went in his office, this was years ago, and I graciously talked to him about something, and he said, you know, I not only am thanking you for your rebuke, but for your tone of voice and how you and how you talk to me. And so I think that you'll get a lot further with your husband if you're gracious, you're kind, your tone of voice is good when you speak to him. And I think uh, Esther is a wonderful example of a woman who was very gracious and made very gracious appeals to her husband. Now, a great book that will help you in these areas is The Excellent Wife by Martha Peace, which, by the way, she's going to be our speaker this fall, October 26th, 27th, and we're going to have a conference, and it is going to be on The Excellent Wife. I talked to her yesterday, and she's going to be speaking four times with a Q&A, and the topics are going to be loving your husband, respecting, submission, and then a wife's resources, like what do you do if your husband's sending? How do you communicate with your husband? And so... Um, 
we're going to have something on it soon, but um, anyway, she will be speaking on this topic. And by way of closing, I want to share with you um, some of the attitudes that she mentions in her books of uh, in her book, The Excellent Wife, on the attitudes that women have that show a lack of a submissive spirit. And they're not word for word. I've rephrased them a little bit and used some personal examples. But one of the things she says that we aren't submissive when we annoy our husbands by doing things that bug them. Um, and I have found that in my own marriage. I, I For years, I didn't know that Doug did not like hard butter. And, I mean, you know, when I grew up, the butter was always in the refrigerator. And he would just get so, why don't we have soft butter? You know, I don't like my bread to be all messed up. And so, listen, I mean, I make sure. I came home from California Sunday night. I noticed there's just about that much soft butter, so I, I got out a stick. I put half a stick on my sandwiches for the agape meal, and the other half went on the butter dish. And you can go to my home right now, and you will find soft butter in the cupboard. And so, but, we, you know, just little things like that. Why do we want to annoy them? There's no reason to annoy them. We don't like them to annoy us, right? So um, that's just one way. Another way she, she mentions is we don't discipline the children as we should. Um, I've heard women will tell me, I just wait till my husband gets home. You just wait till your father gets home, you know, and to spank or discipline the children. And, uh, ladies, that's not wise. It's just as much your responsibility, if not more, since you're with them more. Thirdly, she mentions that you are more loyal to others than to her husband. Um, I was actually talking to a woman today, and she said, you know, I just find if I'm not home all day because her husband's retired, she said he really doesn't like that. And uh, But some women are more loyal to a girlfriend than they are her husband. And I have to say I see this more often than I would like to, and I guarantee it will damage your marriage if that's your pattern. In fact, one of the changes I've made in the last two or three years um, is that, you know, Doug always goes to bed usually before I do. But I had found that what I was doing was after dinner, I'd make our dinner, and we'd watch the news together and talk, and then I'd clean up the kitchen, then I'd go back to my office and work, and he'd stay in the den. And with his, you know, increasing health issues that he's had, I thought, you know, the Lord takes my husband home. I don't want to have any regrets, you know. This is just not right. And so I just thought, nope, I'm just going to stay in this den, and when he goes to bed, and that's when I'm going to bed. And I think he really likes that, that I am just may not be talking or whatever, but we're in the same room together, and we're just together. And so I just think that's a way to honor, respect, and be submissive to him, even though he hasn't asked me to do that, but I think he wants me to do that. Another thing she says is she doesn't stay within the limits of their budget. Um, I think this really grieves me, especially when I see young women working outside the home because they won't live within the means that God has provided through their husband. I know some women have to work for reasons, but there are others who uh, work outside the home because they won't live within uh, their budget. I know women who go uh, shopping. They purchase things they know they can't afford, but they do it anyway. And so I think that's um, something to think about. Another one she mentions is she corrects, her, she corrects, interrupts, talks for her husband, and is too outspoken when others are around. Um, I think this is a huge problem. And for me, um, I when we have people over, um, I usually let my husband lead the conversation. If we're counseling someone, I let him lead the conversation. I try not to be the first one to talk. Um, I let Doug lead. I learn, I've learned to be quiet, cultivate a meek and quiet spirit, and especially when people are around. Um, and even this is one thing I noticed. One time we were discipling a couple, and 
and they don't go here anymore. They live in another state, but they would come over, they'd bring their kids, and the husband would say, let's have the kids pick up, it's time to go, five, ten minutes. Let's have the kids pick up, it's time to go. And the wife never followed through, and so finally I spoke to her privately, and I said, you know, you're really not submitting to your husband, and it's not very respectful. He usually has to ask you three or four times, let's have the kids pick up so we can go. And so um, that's just another way. I usually, when we're at someone's house, um, I let Doug make the initiative to say we need to go. I, it's usually before I want to because I like to stay in fellowship, but he usually you know, goes to bed earlier than me. But I let him. That's just a way you can let them lead and not try to take over because we're always wanting to take over, aren't we? But um, we do that. So a lot of women correct their husband. They interrupt their husband. They speak for their husband. And I think that is a way that we um, show lack of respect and submission. Another one, she manipulates him to get her own way. Oh, boy. <laughs> this is really bad. Deceit, tears, nagging, begging, complaining, anger, intimidation. I used to tell Doug uh, before I became a believer, you know, I was going to divorce him. I hated him. I mean, I said all kinds of wicked things. I won't even repeat. But it was all manipulation, manipulation to get my way. Um if this describes you, I beg you to stop sinning by manipulation. <laughs> speak the truth in love to your husband. You know, just speak the truth in love. Um, this type of behavior will drive your husband far, far away. In fact, I was uh, talking to a gal yesterday on Skype, and she's doing this very thing. And I said, this is not good. I said, you're tearing your house down brick by brick. It will drive your husband away if you do these kinds of things. Another one she mentions is she makes important decisions without consulting him. Um, I had a woman one time tell me, she said, I just told my husband no, and I just did it anyway. And I was like, wow, well, that would happen one time in my home, and I don't even know if it happened that time. But I do know women that make major decisions without consulting their husbands. And, ladies, that's very unsubmissive, defying his wishes. Um, that is willful sin. And so you should discuss these things with your husband. Uh, number 10, she mentions she worries about the decisions he makes and takes matters into her own hands. Ladies, remember, we're not responsible for the decisions our husbands make. They are. They're going to stand before God on that day. We're going to stand before God for how we've submitted to them. And so keep that in mind. If, if your husband makes a decision, and I'll usually tell my husband, I... I don't care for this that you're getting ready to do. I don't support you in this, but this is your decision, and, you know, that's the way it is. But um, I don't rant and rave and stomp my feet. I just express my opinion that I don't think it's wise or something like that. And he loves it when, he, when it turns out right. He says, honey, say those words I love to hear, which is you were right and I was wrong. <laughs> but then uh, sometimes I'm right. So, um, but, you know, I have to realize that just you know, we went through trusting God last year. Trust the Lord, even in a situation where your husband makes a decision you don't necessarily like. Um, you can live with it. A lot of eternity doesn't really matter. Um, this is another one. She doesn't pay attention to what he says. Um, I think this is a struggle for all of us. You know, our husbands want to talk. Mine likes to talk theology, politics, you know. And, and sometimes I'm with it and like, yeah, it's really good. Other times I'm like, you know, I wish he'd go to bed. Isn't that time to go to bed? Um <laughs> But yet, you know, we go into them and we want them to listen to us, right? You're not going to believe what happened today or guess what so-and-so told me. And 
you know, Doug's doing this. I'm like, well, I guess he's not interested. We want their full attention, so we need to give them our full attention. And so we, we remember the golden rule, do unto others as we want them to do unto us, right? So we want their attention, give them your attention. Well, in closing, are you submitting to your own husband? If not, why not? Do you see this as God's will for your life and as in harmony with his will? If not, why not? My friend, if you are not a wife who is known by her submission to her husband, then you need to confess it to the Lord and your husband and do what's right. There's nothing more unattractive than a wife who's not submissive to her husband. She brings shame on her husband and the Lord. But a woman who is submissive and respectful towards her husband adorns the doctrine of God and makes it attractive. Now, in case this concept is really hard for you, be grateful. You might say, why should I be grateful? Not because your flesh is rearing up, but be grateful because you are commanded to submit. And the reason I say this, and because, in my humble opinion, the husband has a greater command which he has to obey, and you're going to have to tune in for next week's lesson to hear the rest of the story, okay? As Paul Harvey would say. So let's pray. Father, I do thank you for making us women. I do thank you, Lord, that you have not left us wondering what we are to be doing, especially as it pertains to our husband. We are to love them. We are to respect them. And yet, Father, we know that it is a struggle at times, and it will be a struggle until we see you face to face. I pray that you will give us hearts of submission. You will give us a desire to be respectful to our husbands and to be submissive to them. I do pray for the women here, if any of them have difficult marriages, difficult situations, that you would give them wisdom that comes from above to know what to do, when to do it, how to say it, and when to say it, Lord. And, um, Father, bless our group time. I pray that we can be open and transparent and give aid and help to one another and pray for one another. I do pray for those not here tonight, Lord. Oh, I pray that you would be their strength, their comfort, their joy in the midst of their affliction or whatever is going on in their lives. Bring them back to us next week, we pray in Christ's name. Amen.